Welcome to the Dwellings Podcast. We're glad you tuned in. Enjoy this message by Pastor Gunnar. All right, who's ready to jump in the message? <laughs> Returning to the presence. There's, a, there's one of my favorite scriptures in the Bible. is in 2 Chronicles chapter 5. There's this moment where Solomon dedicates the temple to the Lord. So his father David have a, had a heart for God's house. I want to build uh, God a place. Not he needs anything, but he deserves it. Not that God needs anything. Not that God needs us, but he deserves it. He deserves a space where prayer and worship rises to him all the time. And that's what the temple was. And this was that moment where they're dedicating the temple. And I'm going to start reading in verse 5 of 2 Chronicles. I mean, I'm sorry, verse 13 of 2 Chronicles 5. He says, it was the duty of the trumpeters and singers, the singers and musicians, to make themselves heard in unison, in praise, in thanksgiving to the Lord. And when the song was raised with trumpets and cymbals and other musical instruments in praise to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever, the house of the Lord was filled with a cloud so that the priests could not stand to minister because of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord filled the house of God. There's nothing like his presence. There's nothing like his presence. I've done life in my power, and I've done life in his presence, and I'm ruined for it. I've done church in the strength of my own arm. And I've done church in, with, by his presence. And that's the only way I want to do it. There's something about his presence. There's nothing like it. I remember when I was 14 years old. Some of you have heard this story like 8 million times. I had not given my heart to the Lord very long before this. And I was in my room. And my parents were outside probably doing yard work, which I should have been. I was 14. I could, you know, start pulling weight at that age. You know what I'm saying? But I'm in my room. I'm where I needed to be. And I'm, I'm listening to an old cassette tape. Who, who knows what a cassette tape is? So many old people here today. Um, but I'm listening to, and this is going to be worse, a Phillips, Craig and Dean song. Hey, that was hot right back, back in the youth group. It was. And, and there, something happened in, in that moment of just worship. And it's probably like one of the first times this had happened in my life. And, um, and I was worshiping and it was like God just came in my bedroom and I wept and I wept and I was just so overcome. It just felt like he just filled me up with his presence. It was like, it's like nothing I'd ever experienced before. And it marked my life. And I, I remember it was that defining moment in my life that I was a shy kid and I, I became bold all of a sudden telling people about Jesus and speaking up for Jesus. And it wasn't my nature. It wasn't my... It wasn't really who I was, 
And see, I put her on do not disturb. I did, and she's talking to me still. Somebody fix, fix my technology so I can <laughs> preach without these interruptions. But I, yes, I'll take it off. Then you won't get to go to Cracker Barrel <clears throat> on time. Uh, I do have a watch right there. What was I talking about? <laughs> so several years later, I'm away from the Lord. I'm in 11th grade. I know that I'm walking in a season of disobedience. Come on, let's be vulnerable. Who's been there? And you know you're away from the Lord and you feel a bit of shame about it. How about a lot of shame about it? In 11th grade, I did. And my wife and other people in our youth group, isn't that cool? I was in the youth group with my wife. But they were saying, hey, you need to come to church. Come to church. Where are you at? They called me on Wednesday nights. Why aren't you here? And I was getting hounded by them. I was getting hounded by the Holy Spirit. And I was headed to, I did say yes to a youth weekend, a youth weekend. And we had a speaker. We was going to eat some hot dogs and hamburgers. And I said, well, I'll just go to that. And maybe I can withstand the conviction of the Holy Spirit on my life just enough to get the hamburger down. And then I'll think of, <laughs> think maybe if I'll come tomorrow, I'm not sure. Okay. So that's where I was. And I got in my Jeep Cherokee 1992, baby, sport, Cherokee sport. And I headed out to the youth night. And when I turned on Airport Road in my hometown, before I made it around that big curve, I don't know how to explain this other than God himself was in a 1992 Jeep Cherokee. <laughs> and I pulled off the road and I cried and I cried and I cried. Because his love met me in my point of shame, in a low place in my life when I was running from him. And he ran me down. And he got in a car with me. And he just loved me back to him. And there have been countless moments like that since. But these moments mark you. I'm talking about it right now. It's four, I was 14 years or I was probably 16, at least 16, I was driving. They mark us. Have you had a moment like that with Jesus? It's not all about the thrills and chills and the, and the stuff, but I'm telling you, when Jesus shows up, it marks your life. There's nothing like his presence. And we're not just meant to be aware of his presence or to know his presence we are called as his children who've been redeemed by what he did for us on the cross. We've been given a new nature. We've been given a new assignment. We have Holy Spirit indwelling in us. And our, our assignment now is not just to recognize his presence or experience, but it's to live by it. Paul talks about being led by the Spirit. Life in the spirit. This is being led by the presence of God. And when I say the presence, just so you know, I'm not talking about a feeling or a force or whatever. I'm talking about Jesus himself. The Holy Spirit. The spirit of Jesus. All the same. It's God. When God comes in a, in a marked way, it, it's different. And, and we'll talk a little bit more about that in just a minute, about that whole thing of God coming when he's already here. Has you ever thought about that before? 
but living by the presence. Okay, so I think there's two ways to live in a Christian life. I think one of them is okay. And I think one of them is what we're actually called to. So we can live by principle or we can live by presence. Everybody say, this has a principle. This, this has a presence. Now this has a principle. Since we're talking about youth group, we used to wear all these, these bracelets and they had an acronym, four-letter acronym. Some of y'all got it on right now. WWJD. What did it stand for? What would he do? What would Jesus do? Some of y'all got some. What does the new one say? Uh-oh. He would love first. So they revamped it. It looks the same. So let me, let me just put this out there for you. I'm not against the WWJD. Don't say, Gunnar said, don't wear that. I didn't. Wear it. <laughs> but can I just say this? That thought, what would Jesus do? It's a theoretical question, right? It's a reminder on my wrist that says, okay, if I was put in this, if Jesus was in the situation that I'm in right now, how would he respond? If Jesus was face to face with this person that I'm with right now, how would he respond? How would he react? What would he do? What would he say? That's what I want to do. That's a good thing to live by, right? Can I say that's a principle? That's a principle. The difference between principle and presence is what would Jesus do is the principle. Living by the presence is thinking a different way. What is Jesus doing? So the principle is, what would Jesus do? That's what I want to do. The living by presence is, what is he doing right now? And how can I get in on it? How can, he, how can he put me on like a glove and use me in this moment specifically? All right, so let's kind of break it down a little bit. The principle, have you ever heard the phrase, you reap what you sow? That's a biblical principle, all right? So that tells me that what I, what I dish out, I'm going to get back. Whether it's good or whether it's bad, you know? I reap what I sow. Let's just think about it in the context of generosity. The principle is be generous. That's a good principle to live by, right? I don't even need the leading of the Holy Spirit to be generous because it's a principle in his word. I'm going to be generous. If, uh, I think it's James that says, if you see your brother in need and you don't, uh, if you don't meet that need, like what you even doing? You know, I can't, that's the gunner paraphrase. But living by principle is be generous. Living by the presence is, where do I need to sow? Lord, where would you have me sow? Can, can, you know, we talk about both and a lot around here. If you walk in the kingdom, you're going to feel the tension. Some of y'all feeling the tension right now. But what, but what about? I think sometimes we get so hung up on hearing a word from the Lord before we move in obedience. It's a both and. That's why this is a relationship, not a formula, right? And so I'm going to live by the principle of being generous. But when I have an opportunity, I'm going to ask the Lord, what are you doing right now? What would you have me do? 
specifically. Okay, thank you. So the principle is make disciples, share the gospel. All right. Do I need a leading of the Holy Spirit to do that? No. He's given me a great commission. Go ye therefore. Okay. Like it's just, it's out there. He put it out there. Somebody's like, I'm praying about going on a mission trip. You don't really have to. Just be a mission. Just do it. But the principle is share the gospel. The living by presence is go over there and talk to that woman right now. Okay, Lord. There's a difference. Because you can about guarantee you're about to have an interesting encounter over there. So there's, pre- there's principle and there's presence. Principle's not wrong. It's not bad. It's good. Live by it. But I'm always going to have the awareness of, no, it's not what would he do. What is he doing? And I'm going to get in on it. All right. So let's do another one. Because some of this has happened even this morning. I've seen it happen. The principle is build one another up, right? Be encouraging, right? It's in Scripture. I don't need... I don't need a word from the Lord to do that, right? I just do it. I encourage you, Shay. Like, you're awesome. You know, like, I'm going to encourage you. But if I, if, I, if I just move in principle only, that's great. People are going to be encouraged. But if I live by the presence, I'm listening to the Lord for Shay. And I have a specific word that Shay needs to hear in this exact moment. And there's no way that I could have known she needed that. But the Lord used me to encourage her. Do you see how much more potent that is? How much more powerful that is? Living in and through and by the presence of the Lord is what we're called to do. Do we live by principle? Absolutely. But in any situation, I'm longing to hear his voice. I'm longing to sense his heart for us, for a person or a situation. And I don't have to guess in theory, what would he do? I can ask him, what are you doing? And when I don't hear an answer, I live by the principle. Did I just uncomplicate your life for you? All right. So um, have you ever heard the phrase, well, God really showed up today. You heard that at church? Some people have a problem with that. And I get it. A worship leader told me one time, not here. He told me uh, he was at a church and, and the pastor confronted him. He said, hey, you know, when you prayed, Holy Spirit, come meet with us today. You, didn't, you don't need to pray that anymore because he's already here. And he like scolded him about it. Now, was he right? He was right that the Holy Spirit's already here. But what the worship leader was, was trying to convey with his words is there's a greater measure of your presence. That's, that's what we're longing for. We know you're here, but we want you here. And there's a difference. And I'm going to explain this. I love this. Richard Owen Roberts, great Bible teacher, theologian, revival guy. He's like, if he's still alive, he's well into his 90s at this point. Look him up. It's awesome. I'm just convicted listening to him. But he gives us language for these levels of presence. And I really don't like that word because then it makes it sound like you can just like crank it up. And, and you know what I mean? Like there's different levels. Maybe different 
experience, different demonstration, different manifestation of his presence. But uh, let's talk through these three things really, really quickly. The first thing that Roberts uh, defines for us is this essential presence. Essential presence. Essential presence is this. God is everywhere. When the psalmist says, where can I flee from your presence? The answer to that question is nowhere. I can't go anywhere where you are not. He says, even if I make my bed in the depths of hell, you're there. God is in this room right now. You know where else he is? He's in the crack house. God is everywhere. I can see somebody clipping that and putting that on. That's why I shouldn't pause so much. I mean, I'm too good at editing stuff. He's everywhere. When you walk into the lobby, you're not walking out of God's presence. When, you're, when you go in your car, you're not walking. When you're at work, regardless of how you think about your job, God's there. He's there. He's at your house. There's nowhere you can go and get away from God. His presence, his essential presence is everywhere. But how many know, as it's pretty obvious, we can live our lives and never recognize that we are walking around in the presence of a living God. It's happening right now, all over this city. People just walking around, breathing. They're sustained. The Bible says that everything's held together by Jesus himself. He fills all things. And there are people walking around right now, and they're not thinking a thing about Jesus. So there's a difference between the essential presence and something else. And the something else is the second level that Roberts uh, gives us language for the manifest presence of God. Manifest presence. If, if essential presence is God is everywhere, manifest presence is God is here. How many, how many know when I got in my Jeep, I was surrounded by the essential presence of God, but for some reason, turning on airport road, I experienced the manifest presence of God, and it marked my life. There's a palpable sense that God is very near. What happens is I'm confronted in his manifest presence by my own sin. That's one of the things that everybody asked me about Asbury. Was that really revival and all that? I went, by the way. God gave me a birthday present the day after my birthday. And let me go to Asbury, thanks to some of the people in this room too. But um, when I walked in, I'm thinking, man, I don't know what I'm going to see. I don't know what I'm going to experience. Do you know what happened to me? I was face to face with my own brokenness. <laughs> I thought, this is going to be, I'm going to learn something in here, <laughs> you know, and then I'm on my face. Because the manifest presence of God will do that. You look in, the, in scripture, 
and people who, who came face to face with the resurrected Jesus, and they all did the same thing. Let me get as low as I can possibly get. I'm not worthy to be here. The manifest presence of God. And I, I, I kind of shy away from saying it's a felt reality because I realize not all of us are feelers. But there's something undeniable when his manifest, manifest presence is, is happening. And I long for that. I long for more of that in my life. There's something about this season of fasting that we're in. Can I just get an amen that you've experienced his nearness even more? I long for the manifest presence of God. I love those moments in, in worship when he just comes. I love the moments in prayer room when it seems like he just falls in this place like a blanket. <clears throat> One Wednesday night prayer room, we, we finished the whole set and it was over and nobody could move. <laughs> like, I, don't, I think everybody had gone and it was just us three that were leading and we just sat there and like looked at each other. <laughs> it often happens, this is interesting, it often happens in the last 30 minutes. I don't know, I'm thinking of that, what you reap, what you sow, you reap. Manifest presence. Like, yes, yes, God is here, but Lord, we want you here. We want you to come close. And, and, and see, we don't even have language for it because he's close. He's closer than our breath. He's closer than our skin. But we want him close. Do you, are you following me? It's not about having the, the, the right words packaged in the theology. It's about a heart cry. Do we long for him? Do we have that, that heart of David that says, my heart and my flesh cry out to you for the living God. I'm like a deer that's panting by streams of water. I want you more than anything else. Is that your heart? Ask him to do that in you if it's not. So there's essential presence. There's manifest presence. So essential presence means God is everywhere. Manifest presence means God is here. And then there's another level beyond that that I really want to dig into today because it is the longing of my heart. It is the longing of my heart for this house to be a place of his presence. And here's number three. Cultivated presence. Cultivated presence. It's a place where. His manifest presence. Is ongoing. This is not magic. It's not spooky spirituality. It's a reality. Biblically and in church history. If you read and study the revivals, the moves of God throughout history, what you'll find is that even, and now can, I have, can I explain this? Do I have theology for this? No. But geographically, there are, there are spaces created where God wants to be. 
I heard John Tyson say earlier this week, God comes where he's wanted. And in a culture that is progressively pushing God out of everything, when a people say, God, you're all we want, you better believe he's going to show up. There's essential presence. He's here. There's manifest presence. Oh, he's here. And then there's cultivated presence where people have prepared. You know, cultivation is a farming term. It says, I'm plowing the ground. I'm preparing the soil. I'm planting the seeds and waiting for the rain. A, a people who will cultivate their lives for the presence of God. A people who will cultivate a church that, that, that wants to be a place where he's welcome and his presence is manifest. And it's almost like a zone where God is enthroned. It's like it's the tension of the kingdom. He's sitting on the throne and he's king, right? Am I right? But how many know there are houses and, and businesses and communities just in our city where he is not known as king? So when we ask, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, what we're really asking for is what, what we know to be true in theory. Lord, we're asking for a manifestation of that. And it, look, it changes every part of life. You, you show me a family that puts Jesus as king in their life and things start changing. You show me a life that bows its knee to Jesus and just by the king having his rightful place in your life, he sorts things out. He starts sorting things out. I want to be a place. I want this house to be a house, a people of his presence that have cultivated a place where he, he wants to be. He wants to be here. I love the stories. Uh, of revival history. Like, I, I just can't get away from it. Cause I, and I don't think they're little blips on the radar. I think it's actually the normal Christian life. I, I, think that, I think that we revival and awakenings are windows into heaven on earth. And I think if we just press in and stay with it, I, I wonder, I wonder what would happen if we just became a people who, who longed for his presence and he came and it changed us. And, and what will often happen is the, when we're changed in his presence, we're actually forced out to take that presence to our community, to our workplace, to our job, to our family. Revival history. I, I mentioned the Hebrides revival in the Isle of Lewis last Sunday. There was uh, eyewitnesses that were a part of that revival back in the 40s all say the same thing. It was like a God consciousness fell on the island. People who didn't give a rip about God suddenly became aware, oh, he's here. It was, a, it was, a, it was an entire island gripped by a palpable presence of God. And you know why that happened? You had some cultivators. People who prayed faithfully for years. Years. 
and a teenager stood up in a prayer meeting and said, God, you promised to pour out dry, or pour out water on thirsty ground. And that's what we're calling you to do, to be true to your word. And said at that moment, God came. People getting up in the middle of the night, turning on their lights, they didn't know what to do but go to the church. Sweeping people into the kingdom. They said that more people were saved on the roadsides in the Hebrides revival than they were in the churches. You just go down the road and people are kneeling in the ditches, crying out for God to save them and forgive them and change them. Same thing happened in the, in the 1800s in the Businessmen's Prayer Revival in New York City. There's stories of ships coming into New York Harbor. And before they got to port, the captain is calling ahead and saying, hey, we need a minister. Because my crew is laying on the floor crying their eyes out because God's presence is on our ship. Somebody had cultivated an environment where his manifest presence was inescapable. Guess what did that? Little man got it right here. People, people cultivated that atmosphere because they sought God with all their heart and they prayed. They prayed. I sat down several years ago with a man named Henry Johnson. He's gone on to be the be with the Lord since but uh, back in our in Alabama where I'm from in Coffee County that's a good county by the way Coffee in the 1950s he talked about there was just this movement of prayer that happened and nobody knows what started it it just kind of happened he said that I remembered the old uh, he, he said back then Gunner the tractor had just come out like people use mules to plow and then everybody was buying tractors. And so there were farmhouses. And, and so what happened was the, the, the hired labor, the tractor took the place of it. And so the old houses where they'd house laborers were turned into prayer houses. And he said, you would walk by those places and people would just be meeting in there and you'd hear people crying out to God. And he said, it's just like the spirit of prayer fell on our county. And he said, what was happening was people were just getting saved every week, coming to the Lord. You'd hear, are you kidding? Roger? You know, <laughs> like, Roger? Like, the town drunk is preaching? You know what I'm saying? Like, Jesus was doing so much in that, in that day. I actually, I'm a history nerd, and I love stuff like this. Anyway, so I go to the uh, genealogical society and I'm digging through the old newspapers. And I go to the 50s when Henry told me that it broke out. And you know what happens? By 1954, all the churches are building new buildings because they can't hold the people anymore. If you look at the cornerstones in, in our county of a lot of churches, the, the new sanctuary that they're meeting in now was built in 54 because the revival had them busting at the seams and they had to do something. How did that happen? Some people cultivated. Some people were willing to let, the, let the, the hard soil of their own hearts get plowed up. Come and, and plow up the fallow ground of your hearts until he comes and rains righteousness down on you.
cultivated presence says, God is welcome. Have you ever been in a person's house and you felt out of place? You felt like, I don't know if they really want me here. You know what I'm saying? Maybe I've overstayed my welcome. You start getting glances, you know. You're kind of just standing there. Nobody's offered you a seat or a drink or a... It's just kind of like, mm, this is awkward. And then you've been in someone's house before where they're really, really good hosts. And you feel like a king, right? You're just well taken care of. And you're like, I like it here. Like these people, this is, this is awesome. I mean, y'all broke out the fancy stuff, you know. I long to be a place when we just talk about this, this, this house, this, and even in our communities, like I long to be a place where we've cultivated a sense of hospitality to the Lord. I'm all for treating our guests to the church. Some of y'all are here for the first time today. We're so glad you're here. I hope you feel welcome. I hope we have loved on you to the point where you're like, okay. <laughs> Back off. <laughs> and I think we should press into that more. We got a long way to go with that. But I don't want that without us hosting him well. Because he's what we all need. So I want to be a place that hosts him well. I, and I got I to gotta land this plane. <laughs> Acts chapter 1. I think, pull that, guys, pull that up, guys, if you would. Acts chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. Jesus, um, this is after the crucifixion, after the resurrection. He's, he's eating with his disciples, and he says this. He gives them a command, and he says, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Fast forward to Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. They actually did what he said. Let me do that again. Wait in Jerusalem. And guess what they did? They waited. They got in a room together, about 120 of them. And it says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And suddenly the sound of a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and to begin speak in other tongues or languages as the Spirit enabled him. 120 people decided in their hearts together to host him well. And the product was Pentecost. 120 people prepared a place and just waited for him. You invite somebody to your house. There's an expectation. I thought that was them. I thought I heard a car door. I wonder where they... Y'all stay down here. Don't go upstairs yet. We, we got guests coming. Pick that up, you know. Some of y'all, it's the only time you clean your house. So I'm like, 
Somebody's coming over. But they lingered. God, give us a spirit of lingering. I think about Moses. Said he, met, he, he met with God in the tent. And Joshua, son of Nun, would be with him. Said Moses would leave the tent and Joshua would just stay a little longer. He'd just linger a little longer. I wonder, I wonder what we miss out on when we don't linger. I wonder what we would experience with God and of God if we just stay in it a little longer. Stay in it. If you prayed for years, keep praying. If you cried out to God, keep crying out. Be the persistent widow. You got any flour? Go away. (laughs) Jesus says, your father's not like that. He wants to open the door. All you got to do is just knock. They lingered. There's something about waiting on the Lord. There's something about when you've waited to wait a little longer. Revival is always marked by a spirit of prayer, extraordinary prayer, not just amen. It's it's a little bit extreme. Just a little bit. Why are they praying so much? And it's marked by extraordinary obedience too. Obedience is a little extreme. I don't know if maybe that serious about it. Well, if the Lord says it, do it. They lingered and they obeyed. The command was to wait. They heard what Jesus said and they did it. And the product was Pentecost. Manifest presence. One more revival story and then I'm going to close. Welsh Revival, 1904-1906, the island of Wales. or Is that an island? No, it's part of England. Bucket list, by the way. I'd love to, to go and, and see these places. Evan Roberts, who God used in that awakening, had a simple message that became known as the four tenets of the Welsh Revival. And they were these. Number one, confess all known sin. Number two, forsake anything doubtful. In other words, even if it's not sin and the Lord, you feel like the Lord is saying, "Mm -mm," just forsake it. Number three, obey the spirit promptly. And number four, confess Christ publicly. Obeying the spirit immediately. How many times have we known what God is saying? But we're like, I think that's me. Lord, I need you to confirm your word to me. Sometimes we just need to do what he says. And uh, what's interesting, I said this a while ago, but when, when, when when they waited and they obeyed and they were pressing in in prayer and the Holy Spirit came and they were filled, they went out. And the result was 3,000 people came into the kingdom when Peter preached. If we love people well, and if we host them well, the Lord is pleased. But I would suggest that we're not loving them well if we're not hosting him first. Because he's what they need. And if we don't have him, all they're getting is us.
You feel the tension. Loving people well, hosting people well. I want to get better at that personally. I want us to get better at that as a house. But we better host him well. We better host him well. His presence is priority. Let's pray. Lord, when we say that, we mean it. And where we don't match what we say, Lord, would you fill in the gaps with a lot of grace for us? Lord, we want to be a people that host your presence well. We want to be a people that, that long for you. We want to be a people that are not satisfied with the status quo. We want to be a people that aren't satisfied with church as usual. We want to be a people that are, that are ruined for you. I think how we need to close the service today, I don't, I don't really, we don't need any musicians right now. If this is your heart's cry, and you want this for your personal life, and you want this for this house, would you just come on up? And let's just take a statement together. Make a statement and say, God, this is what we want. Would you just make your place to the altar right now? Nothing magical about an altar, but there's something faith-filled about moving. Honesty. Honesty. Ask him. Tell him tell him what you're coming for and ask him. Let your hearts cry. Find expression. That's what this moment's about. Jesus. We ask for not just a, a visitation, but we ask that you would find us to be a habitation, a place where you are welcome, a place where you want to be, a people with whom you love to be with. Lord, we together in unity, we say, make us a house of your presence. Make us a house of prayer. Make us a house 
that welcomes you and hosts you well. Make our homes places of your presence. Make our families a place of cultivation for you to be Jesus and be king there. Lord, make our hearts a place of your presence. Make our lives a place of habitation. So even now as we wait in the Lord's presence, I see a big moving truck. And he can't move into a place that's not been moved out of. And so if he would reveal those things to you right now that just don't belong in the house, that don't belong in your life, and would you, would you just pull the moving truck up and, and just load it up and send it off and give Jesus the key? It may look different for everybody in this room, but what are the things that need to go? That's what this series is about. We're returning. Returning to full, wholehearted devotion. Returning to holiness. Returning to his presence. So just make this a moment of repentance. Now, Jesus, we ask you to come fill those places. Fill the empty rooms. Come have your way. Come make yourself at home. That's our prayer, Lord. People of your presence. A house of your presence. A people of prayer. A people of habitation. Come, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus, for your presence here today. May we walk out of these doors with burning hearts for more. Amen. Amen. All right. You're not walking out of his presence. You're taking him with you, right? All right. Y'all have a great week. Can I ask? If you are a SCAD student and you know the Lord to come to this area right here, I feel like I'm supposed to pray with you and maybe a few others if you want to do that. The Lord's about to break out on your campus. SCAD, we're going to come up with a new acronym for it.
but it's something about habitation. <laughs> All right, y'all have a good week. We hope you enjoyed this message. For more information, visit thedwellingchurch.org.